The Detroit Pistons play a rough game against the Oklahoma City Thunder and suffered their second loss of the season. Is it time to change everything now after the second loss of the season? We're going to talk about that in today's episode of the Locked on Pistons podcast. You are Locked on Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's the deal? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on Pistons podcast. Per usual, I'm your host, Kuka Hill. You can find me over on Twitter, at Kuka Hill. I want to thank you guys for making Locked on Pistons your first listen of every single day. We are free and available on all your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel, at Locked on Pistons. Hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. That's another great way to support the podcast. Um, and today's episode, by the way, is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKDOWNNBA for a $20 off your first purchase. I'm recording this after the Detroit Pistons lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder. They lost this game 124-112, to and it was a 12-point loss, but the score makes it even look better for the Pistons because it was looking really bad for a second there. Uh, they cut the lead down to 12 with the reserves at the end of the fourth, um, but... OKC pretty much controlled and dominated this game from start to finish against the Detroit Pistons. SGA had a really tough game the night before, so of course he was going to come out with the vengeance. He had 32 points and 47% shooting um, from the floor. Josh Giddy also had 21 points against the Detroit Pistons, 9 of 18 shooting. Jalen Williams had 19 points of 8 of 14 shooting. And Chet Holmgren had 4 or 5, shot 4 or 5, and had 14 points, 4 blocks, and 2 steals. We'll talk about him in a minute um, when it comes to the Pistons. Um... But yeah, the Pistons really struggled this game. They couldn't get much going offensively. Um, They actually did shoot 53% from beyond the arc, um, but they shot 42% from the field, um, and they just turned the ball over. Actually, 16 times wasn't too bad, turned the ball over, but it was at the points in which they turned the ball over that was really killing them. Um, There was a moment in, I want to say, was it the fourth quarter? I keep thinking it was the fourth quarter. It was the third quarter in which the Pistons cut the lead down to 10 points. And once the Pistons got the lead down to 10 points off of an alley-oop dunk from uh, Asar Thompson, Kay Cunningham had back-to-back-to-back turnovers in which turned into a SGA driving layup, an SGA fadeaway, a uh, Jalen Williams dunk, um, and then Jalen Williams two free throws. So the game went from 60-70 to 60-78. to and this has this specific situation and this specific um, struggle with Kay Cunningham has sparked a, a heated discussion um, that's been going on since the start of the year, as soon as the starting lineup was announced. And it's that, should the Detroit Pistons change their starting lineup now after what happened tonight against the OKC Thunder, and would changing the starting lineup help Cade Cunningham? So, you guys, have, for those of you who have been listening to the podcast all season, First of all, appreciate you guys. And second, you guys probably know where I stand with this. But let me just say, let me let me go ahead and explain it for those who, who haven't been listening. Kate is averaging 22, 8, and 3 on 44% shooting, 38% from deep, and 46, 46% on twos, and 88.9% on free throws through the first three games of the season. This game against the OKC Thunder, he struggled. But for, the, for the all, all the other three games, he's been great. He's been sensational to start this season. So do I think that this starting lineup has been holding Cade back offensively? No, I do not. 
Do I think this start? It was this starting lineup what I would have chosen before the season. No, you guys know that I would have start. The one I wanted to go with was Cade, Ivy, Asar, Boyan, and Durin. Now, and I've said multiple times that Stu so far this season has proven me wrong. He's played really well, and he should be the starting four. He's played a big part in how well the Pistons are playing defensively. So I'm not saying that that's the starting lineup they should go to. That's where I was before the season. I think Stu's proven that he should be the starting four, and he's played pretty well, at least so far to this point. It's only four games, incredibly small sample size. I don't want to do anything off of four games, really. But if I am going to have to make an assessment off that, yeah, Stu's proven me wrong so far. He deserves to be there. So the conversation really is, should the Detroit Pistons bench Killian Hayes and bring in an Alec Burks or a Jane Ivey? And where I stand today is no different than where I stood three days ago. I'm a Killian Hayes believer. I believe Killian Hayes can be a really good player. Tonight he had 10 points, 7 assists, 4 rebounds, 1 steal, 1 block, and 4 of 11 shooting. He has to shoot better from the floor. He brings other things to the table. The other things to the table won't matter as much if he can't shoot efficiently from the floor. And so far this year, he has not been able to shoot efficiently from the floor after having a strong preseason. I hate to see it. It sucks to see. He has to shoot better. However, I am not the one making the starting lineups. And if Monty Williams, this is my stance a few days ago, this was my stance yesterday, this would be my stance today, and it will be my stance tomorrow. If Monty Williams believes that this starting lineup is the vision and the starting lineup he wants to see, and he believes this will be the best starting lineup, maybe not tomorrow, but next week it will be, or a week and a half from now it will be, or two weeks from now it will be, then he should stick with his vision. If I'm a head coach and I make a decision on something and I, and I you know, I'm like, okay, this is the vision I see. I'm going to make this, this I'm, I'm gonna make this happen right now. Four games in an 82-game season is not enough for me to change my vision on what I believe is best for the team. Four games is not a large enough sample size for me to change my vision. Now, if you don't agree with the vision, which I don't think a lot of people do agree with the vision of starring Killian Hayes for that defense, then yes, you're going to be frustrated throughout this time. You're going to be complaining about the starting lineup over and over and over again. But I am not Monty Williams. You are not Monty Williams. And if Monty Williams, again, believes this starting lineup will be the best starting lineup for them in a week, in two weeks, and heck, the Pistons start off 2-1, so it couldn't have been doing that bad for them. So, again, would I have started this starting lineup to start the year? No. But Monty has chosen that. So, no, I don't think Monty should be changing his mind about his vision four games into a season that sees the Pistons 2-2. Two and two. And I think another thing, too, that people are kind of like just glossing over, OKC's is really good, and I think Look, the space having better spacing, having better shooters in those spots would would help Cade. It would. I think Cade has done fine nonetheless this year. And I think a lot of the things that Cade has struggled with, like some of the turnovers in this game in that third quarter, those back-to-back-to-back turnovers, I'm not blaming that on spacing. I think that has to do with Cade just being loose with the ball and careless with the ball. However, like I was saying, they went against OKC. And I honestly think the biggest reason why the Detroit Pistons lost this game was lack of spacing part of the reason? Sure. Was the turnovers by Cade part of the reason? Sure. Was Killian Hayes not shooting well from the floor? He shot 4 of 11, 1 of 4 from deep. Was that part of the reason? Sure. Was Asar Thompson shooting 0 of 2 from deep and 6 of 14 from the field part of the reason? Sure. Like, was the Pistons not being able to play defense part of the reason? Yes. I think the biggest thing that impacted the Pistons tonight was Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren was a his mere presence 
was ruining everything the Pistons wanted to do offensively. He was really causing issues for Jalen Duran, who did not have a good game at all tonight, 8.7 rebounds. Now it's one game, he'll be fine, he'll come back next game, he'll be amazing. But Chet Holmgren was really bothering Jalen Duran, and he was really bothering Isaiah Stewart, and he was really bothering Kay Cunningham on drives, and he was basically taking away drives from everybody on the floor, whether it was Asar, Cade, Killian, Jalen Duran, Stu, whoever it was, Chet Holmgren was just wreaking havoc on the floor. So I, I think the Pistons just ran into a bad matchup. They ran into a good team with the best player on the floor in SGA, and Chet Holmgren really took it to him defensively. That's why I think happened. I don't think that the coaching staff should overreact. I don't think they should panic to anything. Now, again, if the coaching staff wants to go ahead and say, okay, you know what, we're going we're gonna, to you know, make a diversion here. We're going to change, change uh, pace here, and we're going to go with uh, Alec Burks or a Jay and Ivy in the starting line. We're going to bring Killian Hayes off the bench. Am I saying that would be an awful decision? No, I'm not saying that would be an awful decision. I'm not saying that would be a bad decision. I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I'm saying that if this is if this is your vision and he believes in this, four games should not move him off of that vision. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And again, through three games, it looked fine. It looked fine. We were a Zach Levine masterclass away from coming on here and talking about how good the starting lineup had looked and the numbers would have been backing it up. So again, I don't think they have to change the starting lineup. If they want to, they want to put a starting. If they want to do spacers in the starting lineup, you want to put Alec Burks in the starting lineup. Sure, it would help with the offense. But I don't think I don't think this game is going to change how Monty Williams feels. I don't think this game is going to change how Monty Williams thinks and sees this starting lineup moving forward until Monty Williams and Boyan Bogdanovich comes back. I don't think that's going to change anything. I don't think this game is the one that's going to change it. I think he's going to give it more of a sample size, and then he'll make a decision. Off of that. So, look, I know people are going to keep complaining about the starting lineup. I think you should just deal with it. You're just going to have to deal with it. I, I, I wouldn't have started the starting lineup. Many fans wouldn't have started the starting lineup. But this is what Monty wants to do. And it hasn't went terribly for the Pistons. They're 2-2. Two and two. So, hopefully, they can continue to win some games. They continue to look as good as they've started. Or look as they look as good as, they, as they've been to start this season. And... Hopefully, guys develop. Hopefully, Asar makes more threes. Hopefully, Killian Hayes makes more threes, and things look better. So, and also, it doesn't matter as much about who starts the game as well. It's more so about how Monty Williams has been staggering the lineups. And he's, I thought he's been a, doing a really good job of still staggering the lineups and giving Cade spacing in the lineups that he spaces or that he staggers throughout the game. So, I, I really think this is a little bit of an over-talked point. Um, but I understand why fans are frustrated. And I understand why the thought of, hey, with more spacing, this would go better. Heck, I understand that completely. For the last two years, I've been sitting here saying that Cade with four shooters would run, would, would he would go crazy offensively. I still believe that. But obviously, that's, this is not what Monty Williams believes. And until, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what it would take for Monty Williams to change the starting lap. I don't necessarily think he has to. Um, I think he's probably going to write out his vision um, until he absolutely has to change it, which is probably three weeks away when Monty comes back. Monty Morris, that is. So that's where I stand with the starting lap. Is it time to change him? If I'm Monty Williams, I wouldn't, if this is what I believe in. Um, I don't think it's went that terribly, so I would just keep doing the same thing. Um, and I don't think, lastly, I'll say this one more time, this will be it. I don't think just blaming everything on Killing Hayes is why the Pistons lost this game against the OKC Thunder. Like, I, that's not why the Pistons lost 
to the OKC Thunder. I know he's the easiest scapegoat out there. He didn't play well. He didn't shoot well. He has to shoot better. I understand all that, but the the idea of just scapegoating Killing Hayes is the sole reason why they lost to the OKC Thunder. It's just not that's not the case. So let me know what you guys think. I know what a lot of people are going to say: change the starting lineup, change the starting lineup, change the starting lineup. I don't even necessarily disagree. But if Monty Williams believes that this is the best starting line for him and this is the vision that he wants to go with defensively, do you think that's the bad? it's a bad choice of him to do? That's what actually what I want to hear in the comment section down below or over on Twitter, at Cooker Hill. When we come back, I want to talk about Cage turnovers because um, I, I think it's probably the weakest point of his game right now, and I just want to talk about it when we come back. So stay tuned for all that. But first, I've got to tell you guys about one of our sponsors, FanDuel Sportsbook. Now, FanDuel... Absolutely love it. There's a reason why it's America's number one sports book, and it's why it's the official partner of the NFL. I go on FanDuel all the time. I told you guys before the season how they were big. They were very uh, high on the Detroit Lions. They had them win the division. They were favored to win the division. They were favored to win 10-plus games. It looks like it's going to happen after the Piss- or Lions going 6-2. and two. Um, And there's all kinds of things you can do over in FanDuel, too. You can't just you know only bet the futures of each season, whether it's the NFL or NBA. You can bet the spreads of games. You can bet player props. You can bet over-unders, not just on players receiving yards or players' points per game. You can bet the over-unders on points scored within a game. You can do all that, and you can do a lot more. You can put them all into the same betting slip with FanDuel as well. And right now, customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line. That's $150 if your team wins, if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on action. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season and kick off the NBA season with FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. So I want thank you guys again for making LockedOn Pistons your first listen of every single day. We are free and available on all your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at LockedOn Pistons. Hit that subscribe button. Or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. That's another great way to support the podcast. So, so far to start this year, we talked about this earlier in the podcast. So far to start this year, Kate Cunningham has been exceptional. 22.3 points, 8.3 assists, 3.0 rebounds, 44, 39, 89 splits. Been fantastic. He's looked like the number one overall pick. He's looked like the breakout player that we all were expecting to start this season, to go throughout this season. He's looked fantastic. In this game against OKC, though, he did struggle. He had a tough game, 5 of 15 from the floor. Um, he actually shot well from beyond the arc, 3 of 7, which is I think is the – even with Cade not having the greatest game tonight and even with him turning the ball over a ton tonight, which we're about to talk about, the fact that he continues to shoot well from beyond the arc and not just catch and shoot threes but also pull up threes, all that happening uh, from outside, from, from beyond the arc, that should be you know the biggest takeaway because that has been – that, that was the biggest thing everyone was watching for after his first two seasons is, hey, is that outside shot going to go back to what it was at Oklahoma? Is that going to be, you know, because that was the biggest thing about him is that he's 6'6", 6'7", play makes, can get to the rim, uh, plays defense, but also he can hit pull-up threes and bring the defense out. And through two years, now he didn't really play last year, but he hadn't been able to do that. And so far this year, it looks like that shot is back after the surgery to his shin. He has a lot more lift on his jumper. Looks a lot better. So uh, even with what we're about to talk about with the turnovers, my biggest takeaway from Cage so far through four games is the three-point shot is real, and if it is, good luck NBA trying to guard him because then he's just going to keep getting better and better in every other aspect. And if you have to guard him at the three-point line, you can't just go under screens every single time. 
It's going it, May not happen this year, but in the future, the Pistons are going to be a pretty damn good team because of that. So I, that's the first thing I just want to bring up. Um, but he had seven turnovers tonight. And so far this season, before this game, he was averaging 4.7 turnovers a game. Last year, in those 12 games, he was averaging 3.3 turnovers a game. The season before, his rookie year, he averaged 3.7 turnovers a game. And after talking with some people who watched him in college, they said that was something he struggled with in college as well, turnovers. Um, in 27 games in college, and he averaged, or not average, he had 109 total turnovers. So this is something that Cade has struggled with going back to the, his college career. He has turned the ball over a lot. Now, this is why I believe. If you are a high-usage player in the NBA, you are going to turn the ball over a lot. And Cade, I just saw this on Twitter uh, earlier today. I believe he's sixth in the NBA in most touches throughout the league. So he's touching the ball a ton. The Pistons are running everything through him, which I love. I You should be running everything through your best player. Most, not maybe not everything, but you should be running a lot of your stuff through your best player on offense. Not complaining about that. But he's ha- touching the ball a lot. And most players, almost all players, unless you're like CP3, who's one of the best point guards ever and one of the best caretakers of the ball of all time, you're going to turn the ball over. You look at any player, any player that has a high usage, they're just going to turn the ball over a ton. Like look at Luka Doncic so far through his career. 3.4 turnovers, 4.3, 4.3, 4.5, 3.6. Like you're just going to, that's just what happens. And you can even go, let's go to look at LeBron James. You go and look at LeBron James who has his ball, the ball in his hands all the time. No one says that LeBron James is a, crazy turnover machine or complains about it. But throughout his career, he's averaged 3.5 turnovers a game. This year, he's at 4.3. He's had 4.2, 4.1. He's been consistently a 3.5 turnover per game guy. But no one complains about it because he brings all the other stuff to the game, obviously. My point being is that if you have a high usage rate, what comes with that are turnovers. You're going to turn the ball over a lot. However, some of K turnovers are unforced. And he does turn the ball over a little bit too much for a guy he only plays 33 minutes a game so far. And at the time, the timing of his turnover sometimes is what is the, what can be the most uh, concerning about it. So, for example, in the third quarter when I talked about those three turnovers that he had back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, I don't blame those three turnovers on spacing. I think those three turnovers happened because he was he was I mean this doesn't explain each one but he was either carelessness, bad decision making, or being just loose with the ball. One of those for all three of them, and I think that is somewhere where Kate has to improve on. I think Kate has to tighten up his handle. I don't think he has a bad handle at all. Not saying that at all, but I do think his handle is a little loose at times, and he loses uh, control of the ball sometimes. He got called for a carrying um, in that game as well, which. I know carries is something that you can argue about every day with the NBA about what is a carry and what isn't. When they decide to just call something that's a carry, they kind of pick and choose with that. But nonetheless, I do think that Cade can improve with his handle 100%. Um, and can tighten it up and he can get better in that aspect. I also think he needs to be he needs to make better decisions at times with the ball in his hands. Now, the counter argument that's been thrown at me is spacing. If he had better spacing it would help. If he had better shooters in these spots, it would help him. Would it help him? Yes, it would. It would help him. 
But I don't think that's the I don't think that's the easy excuse for him to turn the ball over. He's turned the ball over like this since college. And this is not me ragging on Kate. I, you guys know I think Kate's going to be awesome. I think he can be a top ten player in the league. I think his ceiling is like an MVP type player. I love Kate. But this is one of the areas he has to improve on. So do I think spacing would help? Yes. The idea with the, having spacing, which is something I've t- told you guys for a long time, is that guys wouldn't play as aggressive at the nail on uh, help defense. They wouldn't, tr- they wouldn't want to trap him as much. Now, maybe they would still trap him to get the ball out of his hands, but you would hope that wouldn't happen as much, and driving lanes would be more wide open for him. Not, not denying any of that. If they had better spacing, all those things would help him still. Do I still think he probably would be turning the ball over a little bit more than you'd want with that? Yeah, because he's turned the ball over a lot since college. And as I said, not all of his turnovers are just based off of spacing concerns. Like, for example, when people have said the whole spacing thing, if he had spacing, he just wouldn't turn the ball over. That's just not true. There was three specific plays that I wish I could play on the podcast, but two of them happened in the third quarter. One of them happened in the second quarter, where on one occasion he had Marcus Sasser on the right on the right wing, and the OKC defender that was guarding Sasser was playing extremely aggressive at, at the nail. And instead of Kay taking that one dribble and then kicking it out to Marcus Sasser, he drove the lane and tried to take a contested midi and missed it. Now, that wasn't a turnover, but that just kind of highlights that, hey, Marcus Sasser's a good shooter, but OKC still was playing aggressive off of Marcus Sasser, and Kay didn't make him pay for that. He happened, The same kind of thing happened with Jay and Ivy twice on the left wing and once on the right wing. Same thing happened with those guys. So, again, do I think spacing would help him? Yes, but I don't think these things are mutually exclusive. Yes, would spacing help him some? Sure. Does Kate still need to be making better decisions with the ball? Yes. Does he need to tie up his handle? Yes. Does he need to trust his teammates a little bit more from beyond the arc? Yes. All those things can be true. And even with, and this is the main point I want to make too, is that even if Kate had better spacing, better spacing doesn't make the decision for him. He still needs to make that decision to pass out to his to his open teammate beyond the arc. So I think the spacing argument helps more with his, like, I think it would help more with him being able to score more, help him get to the rim more, help him get easier shots off. Because I saw numerous times, and this is not something he does all the time. I'm, not, I'm just simply talking about this OKC game. There was numerous times in this OKC game when he had good a good shooter open and he just didn't pass it to them tonight. And he tried to either force it to Jalen Duran on the roll, which was a turnover because of Chet. Chet was, just, like I said earlier, was just wrecking havoc all over the place. Or two, he made a split-second late decision or was just a little careless with the ball. So I think Kate can be helped by his team, but Kate also needs to be helping himself. He needs to tighten up that handle. He needs to make better decisions. I, I think both of those things can go together. I think both of those things are what's going on with Cade so far. But it's just one game. I he had been playing spectacular to this point. He went against an OKC team that's really good, has a really good defender in Chet that makes things really tough on guys that want to get to the rim and the pick and roll. I, it, these games happen. Like, it's an 82-game season. Cage going to have bad games. It's going to happen. Not overreacting to it, not freaking out over it. This kind of stuff happens. So let me know what you guys think about Cage's turnovers. Do you guys think it's a concern? Do you think it's a whole bunch of nothing? Let me know in the comment section down below or over on Twitter, at Kuka Hill. When we come back, I want to talk about Asar Thompson's start to the season for the Detroit Pistons. Has he lived up to the hype? Has he fallen short so far through four games? I want to talk about that when we come back. But first, let me tell you guys about one of our sponsors, Game Time. So if you're anything like me, and look, I, I, it's not, I don't take pride in saying this, but I procrastinate a lot. I will know that I want to do something, 
and I'll just wait till the last second to do it. I know that, you know, I have a job to do or something to do. Like, even with the podcast. Like, right now I'm recording at 12 o'clock. I could record earlier, but I procrastinate a little bit. And the same thing happens when I'm looking for tickets to buy to sporting events, some theater, you know, to, hey, movie theaters. Like, anything, anything that involves me having to buy a ticket beforehand, I procrastinate. And it usually bites me that, you know, you know where. Because I can't get tickets now. Because the last-minute tickets aren't available in most places. Well, with game time, last-minute tickets are always available. And that's why game time is my favorite place to go for getting tickets. Along with being able to get last-minute tickets and flash deals, you also get to see the view from your seat before you buy it so you know exactly where to expect, where you, what to expect when you arrive. All-in prices show your total upfront, so you know you're getting a great deal without the hidden fees. You can buy tickets in seconds with two taps just like that. Another thing I struggle with with tickets, also had to go through my email, can't find it. Don't have to worry about that with game time. It's right there on your phone. It's going to be showing up right there. You don't got to search through your emails to find it. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code locked on NBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code locked on NBA. That's L O C K E D O N N B A for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed with game time. So I want to thank you guys again for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We are free and available on all your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at Locked On Pistons. Hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. That's another great way to support the podcast. Asar Thompson is four games into his rookie season. And all of you guys know that Asar Thompson was somebody that I was very very, very high on heading into this, heading into the NBA draft. I was ecstatic that the Detroit Pistons drafted him. And four games into his career, I think he's been, I think he's lived up to the hype and maybe even surpassed the hype. I, I think he's surpassed it. And this is despite him shooting 26% from the field and 20% from deep. Now, no one likes to talk about that when they talk about offense. They only want to talk about someone else, but... I'll leave that alone. Despite him shooting that, I don't care. I don't care. I think he's lived. I think he's went past the hype. He's lived up to it. He's been great for the Pistons so far, and here's why. I think there's a legitimate argument you can make that through four games in the NBA so far. Now it's an incredibly small sample size, and what do you guys know about me? I do not like small sample sizes. I don't want to overreact to small sample sizes. I don't like it, but. Through four games into his NBA career, you could make a legitimate argument that Asar is already a top 10 defender in the NBA. He is, before the year, we talked about how most rookies are not good defensively, but the Pistons seem to have been betting that Asar would be, and that off the film we got from Summer League and the stuff that we got to watch in the Rico Hines footage, that, hey, he looks like he might actually be one of those rare rookies that are actually good immediately into the NBA, but you have to see that happen because most rookies aren't. It's hard to do that. He's proven it. He's proven it. If anything else, through four games, maybe some of the other stuff drops off. Hey, maybe he doesn't average 10.7 rebounds for the rest of the year. Okay, maybe he doesn't average 4.7 assists for the rest of the year. I'll tell you this much. He's going to be this caliber of a defender in game game four, game 20, game 40, game 82, game 61, game 78. He's going to be the same caliber of defender on whatever game you're playing. And that kind of caliber of a defender is one of the best defenders I've watched in the NBA so far this year. 
He is absolutely clamping down on whoever's guarding him. Now, Zach Levine had a crazy night the other night. Asar, in the fourth quarter, suffocated him. He, he, he just suffocated him in the fourth quarter. Now, throughout the games, through the first three quarters, Zach Levine got him a few times, but I think he was still playing good defense on it. Zach Levine was just on a burner. Again, tonight, I thought he did a fantastic job on SGA when he got him. I, I thought he was doing a fantastic job. So much so, so much so, I thought he was doing such a good job on SGA. OKC clearly ag- agreed with him, because even when the Pistons played their defensive lineup, SGA was like, yeah, no, nah, I don't want to go against this dude. I, I don't want to go against uh, Asar. Give me Killian Hayes. Let me go out to Killian Hayes. And Killian Hayes is a good defender. I, Killian Hayes, I thought, played good defense on SGA too. But Asar already, through four games, even when you have other good defenders on the floor, you have teams already saying, yeah, there's some other good defenders, but that dude's different. Let me stay away from him. I'll go get a different good defender to deal with. I ain't trying to go up against him. So that defensive impact already is there's no way that I believe even the Pistons believe he could ha- he could have been that impactful defensively as a rookie to where SGA is saying, no, I just don't want that matchup. I don't want it. I'm staying away from it. Get him off of me. I want someone else. I don't think anyone could have seen that coming. He's averaging 2.3 blocks twos. I, he might be the best blocking wing, the, the best non-blocking big man in the NBA already. Like, already on, what is this, October 31st. Happy Halloween, everybody, by the way. But he might be the best non-blocking big in the NBA already. Like, he does he need to improve from the floor shooting-wise? Obviously. You can't have a dude shooting 26% from the floor. Like, you just can't have that. You can't have someone shooting 20% from three. You can't have that. That, that kind of stuff tanks your offense. You, you can't have that happening. I don't expect him to be hovering around 26%. Um, from the floor. And he does kind of have that Andre Drummond problem where a lot of his misses are from him just trying to tap a ball back into the rim. Um, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he is struggling to score offensively. And that's something he's going to have to improve on. And I, I think even in this game against OKC, he started off 0 of 6 uh, from the floor, um, but then he finished 6 of 8 from the floor. So I think not only is he trying to get accustomed to the NBA level offensively, and he needs to improve, I think his teammates also are getting accustomed to him as well because tonight they threw two lobs to him. K threw him one, Killian Hayes threw him another one. And I feel like they kind of have been missing him on a lot of alley-oops to start the year as well in all the other games. He could easily just get an easy like eight points just off backdoor cuts or alley-oops because that's how crazy of an athlete he is. So I think his teammates are getting adjusted to him. He obviously has to improve offensively and adjust to that. Again, 20% from the field is just not like that's not sustainable. You can't You can't do that. I don't think that's going to last. I think he could be hovering around like 39%. I think that probably is going to happen. But you, li- I think you might just live with that because of how crazy of a defender he already is, how good of a rebounder he is, he has size, and how good of a secondary playmaker and transition playmaker he is. The dude's averaging 4.7 assists. Anytime he gets a defensive rebound, I think the ball is going down the court immediately. He's He reminds me of Lonzo. Lonzo Ball, when you watch him, Lonzo was just a threat. As soon as he got the ball in transition to just whip a pass down the floor and get easy buckets over and over. That's exactly how Asar is off of defensive rebounds in transition. And then even in the half court, he's their best entry passer. The Pistons love ru- running these you know, these quick uh, seal post-ups for Stu or quick seal post-ups for Duren when they get a switch on him in a pick and roll. And they kind of, you know, Cade will see it. He'll swing it over to the Asar Thompson, who, if you play basketball, I'm going to try to explain this the best as possible. If you get a switch in the pick and roll like that and the big's on the guard, 
it's hard for them to get that pass over. So if you immediately make that whip pass to the wing, if the wing pass just touch passes that to the, the big man down low, it should be a bucket every time. But it takes like, it not only does it take the guard reading that and hoping that the guy on the wing reads it, it also takes, again, the guy on the wing reading that and making that quick decision as well, understanding this is why Cade's giving me the ball because he sees this angle right here. And Asar's making that read like, like over, over, and over again. So there's so many things Asar is bringing to the table. He has to improve as scoring. He has to be better efficiency-wise. But defensively, he's been absolutely absurd. And everything else he does as well with the rebounding and secondary playmaking, I think he's been worth it. I think he's already shown fans what his value is and why he was the number five overall pick. And if he can get that scoring to come around, and with that athleticism, he should be at least able to get to the rim and draw free throws. I think that's going to be a guarantee in his career. The Pistons might have a, a star in their hands. So that's where I stand with the star so far through four games. How do you guys feel about Star Thompson through four games of his NBA career? Let me know in the comment section down below or over on Twitter at Kuka Hill. That's all I've got for you guys today. Thank you guys for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on our podcast platforms. Hit that subscribe button to the YouTube channel. Leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. And until next time, I'll see you guys later. Stay safe. Until next time, go Pistons and peace out.